Here's a new product category, APC, you know, creators of uh, UPSs. They're generally a little uh, higher market priced. I was looking for something to just power my modem and my firewall. And uh, I came across this APC Backup Connect, and it's $47 on Amazon. But it, here's, the, here's the crazy thing. Straight up, straight up, straight up. It has major, major limitations. Like it only has two AC outlets on it. It's 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 designed to just be a tiny battery for for lower end appliances, which was exactly what I needed. But look at this beard. You see mm-hmm. this? You see that battery section there? Mm-hmm. That's removable. So the the UPS battery, which has a charge indicator and two USB ports on it, slides out. So you can actually you can pull the battery out of the UPS and use it as a portable charger. For your devices, hmm. which is kind of neat, and you can buy a spare one. That's true too. Yeah, you can buy modular ones. Yeah, that's another nice feature. Oh, yeah, I'll swap them out. Yeah. Oh! shit's busy. You get a lot of messages. That sucks, and you run out of battery power right when you're on the train looking at porn. That's where APC's Power Go comes in. Don't forget to get the tickets and that client meeting. Then grab your coffee, stop looking at porn, grab your extra battery, because Android has horrible battery life. What? We can't say that? Oh. Thankfully, your APC portable power still runs even when you're out of power. Getting your most important network gadgets online. Network and internet still online even though your computer doesn't have any goddamn power. Never disconnect, not even for a damn moment, with APC's portable power. You'll never get a moment's rest. APC. This is Linux Unplugged, episode 209 for August 8th, 2017. Welcome to Linux Unplugged, your weekly Linux talk show that I think is trying all of the IPAs. My name is Chris. My name is Wes. <laughs> hello, Wes, and hello, Mr. Beard. Beard hey. joins us again. Good to have you guys. Now, we have quite a show. Quite, quite oh a my. show. So today is the conclusion of the Slackware Challenge. We'll be giving you my results and Wes's results after running Slackware for the week. We're going to talk about Red Hat's more official plans without ButterFS. The new Firefox is so damn fast. We got to talk about Firefox again. Plus, we got a meetup to announce. Friend of the show has some new code he's pushing out there. Woo. Looks like GTK4 might be sooner than we expected. Of course, there's a lot of community news and updates. And we're going to talk about a new tool. Something that is built right into your Linux. It just needs a little wrapper. And it is some damn fine security. We'll talk about it. We'll talk about it coming up in a little bit. And then, uh, of course, of course, towards the end, we'll get into uh, some also Slackware alternatives that uh, are based on Slackware. That if you want to dip your toe in the waters, but you're not sure you're quite ready yet, you're not sure, you're not sure if you're ready to be a full slacker, there might be a couple of options out there for you. Woo, How about all that, exciting, right? Yeah. We've got a big show this week, lots of stuff, so we can't go any further without bringing in that mumble room. Time appropriate greetings, Virtual Doug. Pip, pip. Hello. 
Hello, hello, hello. Hello. Cheerio. Good day to you. <laughs> Man, Pippi, Popey is Pippi. <laughs> Popey with the Pip-Pip is on the money. Like, you know, latency be damned. He is primed and ready to go. It's always nice to see all of you Impressive. guys in there. Yeah, hello, everybody. Thank you guys for joining us. So this is our Slackware episode. After all of the years, literally 20 of them plus, me skirting around ever trying out Slackware, it finally happened. It's a milestone. Mostly thanks to you bastards, really, <laughs> for calling me out of that episode where I wasn't here. And uh, so <clears throat> I figured I had to it, try It's it. all right. I'm already concocting up the next distro. <laughs> Ooh, I like this. <laughs> oh, you guys. So I thought before we go any further, we got to start this episode with some proper hate and um, <laughs> cover one central repository for all of your anti-system D needs. From distros to uh, articles, that's right, everybody, without-systemd.org, a wiki for all your resources on life without systemd. And, of course, the most poignant arguments against systemd, like the fact that it has broken promises, it's a bit immature, it has scope creep, it has absurd bugs, it has poor design, and it's ignorance of fundamental operating system concepts. None of those are opinions, of course. None I'm surprised they don't have the, the Leonard D- dictatorship on there. Yeah, well, I think that might be implied with the poor design and ignorance. Like, this sort of poking at Leonard, isn't it? <laughs> it's a little bit. Ouch. <laughs> yeah. Um, so then they have a bunch of external links to, like, modern init system designs, uh, all of the uh, GNU slash Linux distributions that uh, run without systemd. And good God. Good God. Now, some of these might be running without Systemd simply because they haven't been updated since <laughs> Systemd <laughs> was announced. But some of these are... Uh, yeah, what stands out to you? Well, Slackware. Mm-hmm. Slackware definitely stands out to me as one that, you know, I mean, everybody knew it. Of course, Gen 2 is still on the list. Everybody knows that one, too. Other than that, Archbang. Mm-hmm. I guess Archbang was the other one that kind of surprised me. And uh, Chromium OS, which uh, still rocking Upstart. Still rocking Upstart lives on. That's in- too bad for them. Wow. Wow. Why you got to be so judgy? Maybe uh, maybe it works great for them, Wes. Maybe it's a, it's a real good solid piece of code for them. For well, when you don't have to run any local software, you probably don't need SystemD. Yeah, maybe so. Chromium well, uh, OS is based on Gen 2 anyway. So. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Of course, and they also cover um, uh, some of the BSDs, which would be, surprise, surprise, all of them. <laughs> I like that they have like a set, as if there's no BSDs like, that do use SystemD. <laughs> no one's managed to port SystemD over just to bother people yet? No, they're still working on their like own replacement. System BSD. Give them time. Give them time. It'll come. It will come. So I just thought that'd be a good way to start our Slackware episode out with the definitive resource on SystemD. I like their logo, too. It's, yeah. real, it's, it's real innovative. They've taken SystemD, <clears throat> and maybe my favorite thing about it, and I don't. I wouldn't normally call this criticism out because you know who am I to to, to say? But uh, when you look at their logo there, see if I can. Can I zoom in a little bit? Yeah, there we go. Boom! Look Ooh, at live that. action yeah, zooming right here. Zoomed and plunged. enhanced. I like the the circle around the circle. Yeah, there is the circle around <laughs> the circle. They, they obviously just took a circle and a line clip art and they grabbed it from somewhere else because you can see like it's been cut out. Yeah. But do you, does something else jump out at you about their logo that maybe is a little incorrect? The S is capitalized. That's right. Now, I normally wouldn't mention this, but um, if your entire purpose as a project or a site is to be so super informed on SystemD that you are trying to educate the world not to use it because you know more than they do, wouldn't you you know how to write 
It, it too it, busy hating. Is it, that a dumb thing to like? But that just really weirds me out. The fact that they're so obsessed with this, but yet they can't get that detail right. Depending on how they did it, if that no symbol is an image and the system D under is text, the wiki might have auto capitalized it. No, it's all image. It's all one image. It's a little JPEG. Maybe uh, they're doing it as like a you know as like a slam or something. Yeah, yeah. Because you know what they do it throughout the well. They don't do it so they do it in any of the title sections. That's where they do it there too. See, that's why I said it might be the wiki. That's probably automated. Wiki. Yeah, that part would be. Yeah, yeah. But this is this right here is a little JPEG. Can we mention the blink tag also? Because that's fun. That is good, although it's not blinking. Yeah, it doesn't really work anymore. No, but they do have a blink tag up at the top, which is solid on the top of a wiki page. <laughs> 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 kind of fitting in a way. Um, <clears throat> last week, there was a story that we weren't really going to talk about, but like it kept coming up in the chat room, so we ended oh. up talking about it. You remember the ButterFS oh, yeah. story? Yeah. It was announced last week that Red Hat is officially. De- deprecating, I guess, Red Hat, and um, Red Hat is officially deprecating ButterFS, and Red Hat has clarified their position on that since the last episode. Uh, Michael over at Pharonix is writing that it is going to be deprecated in all future versions of Red Hat Enterprise Linux, and so you might be wondering, what are they going to do in its place? Red Hat says, no, we're not looking at ZFS. Uh, they they say, yeah, people probably want ZFS, but uh, that's not something that we're going to do. And I don't really know. I don't really I wish I wish they could really come out and really just sort of simply iterate or uh, not iterate, but uh, simply outline, I suppose, on what it what the what the blockers are for ZFS, because it just would clear people's mm-hmm. minds up on the subject. It's got to be the licensings. Oh, yeah, that, clearly, and, you know, clearly. But it would be really interesting to know why one company believes that it's not a problem and the other company does. I would just love to know the answer behind that. <clears throat> I have it's, a feeling Red Hat's just being conservative. Yeah, or maybe yeah. they have to follow different rules because they're predominantly a U.S.-based company, something like that. And maybe they haven't approach. seen a real ask from their clients. I don't know. I doubt that. So, yeah, that's where I – See, because I think a lot of the enterprise people who aren't – who haven't dabbled in the uh, enlightened parts of the file system world, like yeah. there's just – like they have SANS and other yeah. technologies yeah, and they don't they're care. already using. So yeah. I, I see a lot of benefits for like even just root file systems or other times – anytime sure. you need snapshots, et cetera. But I'm not sure that that's a really large opinion in old school know. enterprise right. Linux. The reason – one of the things that sort of informs my opinion in the back end is just watching the sales explosion for IX systems for all of their ZFS-based yeah. storage appliances. Like people are – coming to them and saying, build me this around ZFS. Like, they have people coming to their doors because, the, like, IX is a go-to ZFS company. So I don't know. I, it's probably depends on the market, right? Yeah. It depends on the, yeah, because I bet you that's, I bet you what you outlined is probably really true as well. Um, it's interesting regardless. So you're right. Like, it would be helpful to have a little more clarification on yeah. how, what they've reached here. But Red Hat may have another solution in the works. It's something they've been working on for a little while. You may be familiar with it. We covered it uh, briefly on Linux Action News episode 13 on Sunday. It's called Stratus. And it's a overall umbrella project for combining different built-in storage solutions in Linux already, like LVM and RAID management and copy-on-write capabilities and excellent compression utilities. In fact, they just made a they just made a uh, software purchase where their core focus is compression on SSD. Uh, and Stratus initially plans to use Device Mapper and the XFS system to bring a layered approach to taking these tools that already exist on Linux that essentially achieve what ZFS does and put them in sort of a stacked system where you just you you extend existing tools instead of creating entirely new stuff whole cloth. You use the XFS file system, which I think is one of the best file systems on any operating system on the planet today. And you you take a you take a uh, <clears throat> a customer driven sort of demand 
we what 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 Red Hat seems to have outlined is we have a lot of customers coming to us that have super fast SSD storage, they have super fast CPUs, and they have a shit ton of containers, and they want to compress those containers on disk. They want to read the compressed version of the container, have their super crazy fast CPU decompress it crazy fast, and execute the code. And that's one of the things that ZFS is really good at. Mm-hmm. But if you think about it, ZFS is a bit of a bastard. And Alan, you know, Alan Jude's not going like to like me saying this, but in, in a way, it does something that nothing else out there does that we really never talk about. And that's the fact that it is a layer-violating monster. It takes all of these tools that used to be at different parts of the OS stack and smashes it all down to the file system layer. Not necessarily a bad idea because then you have, you know, some cohesiveness between the tools, but it's also a little untried. So I like this idea of taking existing, known, good, production-ready tools already in Linux and stacking it on top of XFS. That's what Stratus is, and it's going to do copy on write. It's going to do compression. It's going to do encryption. It's going to do device mapper management, all that volume management stuff, snapshots, all that stuff. And it's going to be a sort of whole project solution replacement to ButterFS. I'll be the hater in this case because uh, I feel like the, the, the exact thing you don't want in a file system is a bunch of utilities being developed independently of each other that you're smashing together. Yeah. If the Stratus project could come in and sort of work cross-project to sort of unify it, that could work. Yeah, assuming that all the projects are happy to work with each other. Yeah, that's true. But Unix philosophy and such. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <sighs> yeah, I, I, I also think it's it's very possible <clears throat> that it could be excessively complex. You know, it could be this could be this could be like way too complex. And so it may not be very approachable. It raises the floor of the potential issues that you could have because you're working with a bunch of independent components. So every place that you have separate components talking to each other is a potential breakage point. Yeah. Okay, now I'm on your side because I'm gonna also Well that's true, but I think I mean I don't I don't think it's gonna be a huge number of projects in this case. And like some of them like XFS is obviously like Still, but do you want even one in your file system, because here's where I'll, here's an example where I think it makes a difference. So one of the one of the nice things about ZFS is you could have an array of ZFS drives in a Linux box, and the host ZFS box totally dies. You could take that array, attach it to a BSD machine, an Ubuntu machine, an Arch machine, anything that has ZFS support, and that all comes right back up online, yep. and you have access to the data. And one of the things that makes that possible is the ZFS feature flag. So when they build ZFS, they say these are the features of this version of ZFS. It's like a stable API. So the client utilities know what to expect from that version of ZFS. So even if I take something I created on Ubuntu 16.04, which might be an older version of ZFS than what I'm using on an Arch rolling box today, it's still going to work just fine because the feature flag setup, it was designed with this very eventuality in mind. I don't know if you're going to get that same cohesiveness from an array of projects, like in Project Stratus, I think because you could add that on the top. You could, but what happens easily. if you move from, say, a Red Hat Enterprise eight box and you attach it to a Red Hat Enterprise ten box? I mean, the tool differences in, in the tools you're in right Project that Stratus you would then have to um, could be hugely have different. To have support for those, so either Stratus would implement the conversion between them, or you mm-hmm. have to rely on the underlying tools. And I don't know, like I don't know anything about the architecture of Stratus, so I don't know which way how yeah, that might play I mean, out. Yeah, that's well, right. You're right. And since it is like LVM and XFS, it's pretty solid, pretty tried and true. Not very. It, I agree moving. that it could go that way. I guess I just don't know enough yet to preclude that as a seat. But that that kind of points something out. Like if you. If you have to account for migrations, then you're going to have to account for 
different mixing variants of the tool sets under, under underneath it for each migration, which mm-hmm. seems super complicated. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Especially if different distros go in different directions with it. Like they take yeah. Stratus and they... MonkeyCom, what do you think? Have you actually seen that happen in the wild where you can take a, a, a ZFS array and move it to a different operating system and just have it recognize everything? I have moved it. I have moved it a ZFS array from one version of an older FreeNAS to a newer version of FreeNAS. Definitely, have done that myself. But uh, I don't know if I've done one from FreeNAS to Ubuntu. But as long as the major ZFS versions are the same, the as long as the on-disk format and feature sets are the. I think the other same. thing to, to think about here is like I wonder how many of these projects does Red Hat already employ people to work on? Because that would be perhaps a large factor too. Do they mm. feel they already have a significant stake or control where they have confidence in the direction of the projects? I don't know. This is interesting, though. It's it's a, it really is like a giving up on ButterFS. It really is. Like we weren't totally sure when we were talking about this last week, but it's absolutely Red Hat saying, "What about Seuss?" Yeah, I don't know. What about Seuss? Did we talk about that last week? Like, where does that leave no, Seuss? I don't think so. On a, on their own island. Well, I I would say look back to see what they did with RiserFS. How long until the rest of the community moved on from RiserFS to take them to go to something else? And that might be your answer. They seem to like to stick around. Mm-hmm. Plus, they've you know they've really built a lot of pretty nice tools on yep. top of ButterFS. So if I were them, uh, it'd be neat to see some of those ported right over to ZFS, and then <laughs> I would use. I mean, the tools yeah, are kind of cool. neat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it is. Probably uh, use ButterFS for like a default file system. Yeah, ButterFS yeah. is default, and the package manager can take snapshots using ButterFS. And there's some new other tools Don't they're they have working some on. Boot environment similar yeah. stuff as well. Yeah, there's some other tools they're working on. They're using ButterFS as well, and maybe they'll just keep plugging away at it and keep making it better it's not like they can't just keep right yeah if you, you know what's to... kind of funny yeah. if if canonical did this people would lose their minds but when red hat does it people are not doing that the not invented here thing well it's because the, nobody thinks it's going to be adopted outside of red hat <laughs> i mean well it's... people said that about system d yeah yeah it's all up on it's all up on github right now if you want to check it out um there's also let's see stratus-storage.github.io yeah and i think uh, one of the was things hard to find they don't advertise no, it, but it's... there's not there's not a lot of talk about this no. we should probably get somebody on the show to talk about this that's a good idea that would be the thing because i think one of the reasons it's not getting a ton of attention is because it's just improving existing tools it's not like some radical uh re rebirth of a brand new way of doing things. well that and it's also enterprise focused yeah i suppose so there is a big radical update today, though. I just installed it today, just a few hours before the show. Firefox 55. Holy crap, guys. I, I was like, okay, we're probably going to stop talking about Firefox for a little bit. We've been talking a lot about Firefox. No. Holy crap. Firefox 55 is legit. Initial features also besides the new fancy rendering that are, is crazy fast. And the I haven't used the new dark minimal theme, but man, is it great. Um, WebVR, I think, is also landing on the Windows version. Oh, which that doesn't uh, help me. No, in fact, they have a little promo video here. Let's let's just check this little quick little quick little video out, really. Oh yeah. So she's painting, and uh, of course, there's uh, sort of like Kickstarter music playing in the background. It's like I don't know what else to I'd call buy that. that painting. A Steve Jobs looking guy sits down, and now they're talking silently. No, she just walked right away. Yeah. I wonder if he could turn that into VR. Her That's private. No more stupid painting in real life. Now you can paint in VR. And so the web VR is actually a technology that Noah and I saw demoed a couple of years ago at OSCON running under Linux. So I thought it was kind of odd that it's actually not shipping on the 
Linux version of Firefox 55. But holy smokes. First of all, uh, it, it seems like to me that every single web page I could throw at it loads faster. Give me here. Let's do a little live test. Give me like a give me like a complicated website. I got Firefox uh, loaded up right here, 55 on my machine using their new minimal dark theme, which is slick. How about the uh, the Amazon front page? Amazon.com. All right. I've not been to anywhere in this browser. So Amazon.com. It looks nice. Can I yeah. just say? And boom. Amazon.com is loaded. That was suspiciously fast. Yeah, it's nice. It's nice. What's another complex? Probably, uh, 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 is Twitch, it in, maybe. Uh, Twitch? Okay, Twitch. Is it twitch.tv, right? Twitch.tv, yeah. and it's loading. Pow. And also one of the things they've done is uh, Flash is uh, click to start now by default. Is that right? Yes, finally. This is uh, also, um, the I think, the one where electrolysis is turned on for everyone. Do you know if that's right, Michael? No, fifty four is when it came on okay. for everyone. Okay, and then it's in well, 50... when it came in stable. Okay, and then it's 50... not on for everyone, but whatever. Fifty eight is the one where fifty seven is the one where the traditional plugins go away. The traditional extensions. Yeah, fifty seven's okay. web extensions like only. I mean, this is really good. This is. I know you've been saying this, but this is really good. <laughs> this is really fast. Really good. I'm very excited for Firefox and where they're going. I am a little worried that when they kill off extensions, it's going to be super challenging for Firefox. Um, I was looking at some of the extensions I use, and I don't even think more than one or two of them have been updated, mm. including, I think, even last There's, pass, there's actually a website that lists how many, what's being changed. Um, I, it's a really absurd link URL, so I can't remember what it is, okay. but it's um, it's on the Mozilla side. They have a like web extensions port thing. And there's a lot of things that ha- are being ported that haven't finished being ported, but they are still they are being in, in the works, and they should be done by the 57 release at, at the very latest. Latest, um, some of them be 58, but there's a um, a lot of extensions that are also just being destroyed. Like, yeah, <laughs> unfortunately, because there's there's one thing I used the the tab groups extension is, is was just abandoned like oh, uh, yep, six right. months ago. I remember that. I used it as well. Yeah, the guy was like, um, well, I'd have to rewrite the whole thing, and I don't want to, so sorry. Yeah. Uh, uh, Joey over at OMG Ubuntu also points out that uh, you'll find a new performance section under Preferences General where you can choose to use recommended performance setting or you could dive in and manually enable or disable hardware acceleration, which is probably going to be dependent on what your distro supports. And you can set... A multi-promise, uh, I'm sorry, a multi-promise, <laughs> a multi-process content limit. That's really interesting. Mm-hmm. There's a, the, one of my favorite things about the this. It used to be we had to go in about config in order to do this. Yeah. The new feature is making it a lot easier. But you can have it where, like, by default, there's four processes in the electrolysis structure. But you can make it as many as you want. Holy crap! I'm turning that up. Yeah. Oh wow, that's awesome. Yeah, I'm going to turn that up to a six. <laughs> so, so Chris, how does this does this change any of your feelings yeah. about Firefox? Yep. Because because I, mean, I think there's been kind of two problems, right? There's been technical criticisms as well as yep. like more cultural yep. societal criticisms. Well, um, I feel like there's a. I, I feel like I'm not alone. Um, maybe I'm hopping on a bandwagon I didn't realize, but I feel like there is a lot of underdog-type coverage for Firefox right now. CNET just ran a ran a piece called uh, Firefox Fights Ooh, Back with, like, intense artwork and just, like... Is this a, some sort of browser wars video game I can it, play? Right, right. <laughs> it's a super stylized piece from CNET about Firefox 57 that's going to be out in uh, November. 
Um, this was a logo that was there was this was a design art thing that someone made that they the event made to announce the fifty seven thing. Oh, yeah, wow. that's kind of cool. This was like a couple months ago they made that. I was kind of thinking it was something like that. Um, and uh, so I noticed a general turning in the opinion about Firefox, but for myself, what really has really sort of persist. Of course, I've been watching them persistently improve Firefox for a while now, so that 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 plays a role as well. But for me, it's really it's really. Chrome has started to exhibit issues that I had in Firefox that made me switch to Chrome, and that is that my extensions, I, I uninstall an extension to sort of, sort of like sl- slim down my mm-hmm. Chrome install, and then over time, depending on what computer I sit down at or something, my extensions get re-added back, and then I have way more extensions than I ever <laughs> had, and then, of course, there's like only two or three extensions I really need, and one of them is crashing constantly on the computer here on the live stream. So I've just really kind of been in a tough spot with Chrome. Plus, I'm getting increasingly more uncomfortable with Google all the time and uh, the power that they're using, the power that Chrome is giving them. So I've just been kind of curious where Firefox is going. And man, if they aren't really there now, like you can, I feel like with 55, if you've sort of been sitting back and just sort of watching from a distance using Chrome in, in this meantime, I feel like with 55, you really feel it. It's like the, it's like mm-hmm. the release where it really hits you. You're like, oh, okay, damn. It is, you're, it's about three times faster. Well, it's it, it's very noticeably faster than fifty four. That is that is pretty great. What um, did you? What platform did you try it on, Chris? I was well. It's on this machine here, which is under Arch. Arch. Right. It was, they're both Arch boxes. Yeah, yeah. Um, I haven't tried it much else because I was just trying it before the show today. But uh, on the system upstairs and on this system, which are identical in spec, um, it's just super fast. No real extensions. I installed Privacy Badger, mm-hmm. and that was it. That was my only extension I installed because I didn't want to break electrolysis, and I. Wasn't sure where that line is or Your not. Baby in it. Mm-hmm. In there's the there's a testing ability. You can actually test to see if if an extension is breaking it by running a uh, experimental thing inside of the bread inside oh, of Firefox. Right. Yeah, have you tried that? Did you see? Yeah. Do you have Firefox? Inst- do you have Firefox installed there on your Slackware install, Wes? Oh no, not uh, yeah. I guess I guess it came with it, but yeah. an older version. Yeah, it's twenty four. Oh, <laughs> ESR. It's Firefox twenty four. Yeah. <laughs> Woo! I got Chrome installed now though. So okay. That's fine. Well, we'll talk about that. But yeah. Um, so there was, you know, during the week running on a Firefox 24 and then I go over to the arch machine and I'm running on Firefox 55. It was, it was pretty funny. It was like, Oh, well, it's only an installation away, Chris. It is the ESR release out of, uh, out of all fairness. Right, yeah. It is an ESR. Mm-hmm. I saw also, I saw Firefox like, it's a very old ESR. I saw like 52 or 42, um, also available for Slackware somewhere in the, so there's a, there's a more modern version available as well. 52 is an ESR as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, you know, 24 ESR is definitely not maintained by Mozilla anymore. <laughs> no. <laughs> but th- there is some cool things that, like, the page shot that's coming in, or that was a screenshot, basically, but it's 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 in 55 now. But the, And also the, like, if, if as far as people, like, you know, getting weary of Google and wanting to get excited about Mozilla's work, the, the, vo- the common voice integration they're doing yeah. with the new yeah. voice system mm-hmm. and the... Uh, the send, yeah, yeah, the voice search, but the also the Mozilla Send structure, the Send Two, is a open source feature, so you can actually like run your own instance if you want to. So they're they're bringing this like a, a instead of having like multiple products that are somewhat related, they're just focusing now on uh, different features and stuff to have a cohesive and community approach of you know a good suite for a browser. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think Send's an interesting project. And I'm really glad that it's available for self-hosting too. I think that's that that's sort of its killer feature. Um, 
I've been following them more and more for Linux Action News, and I, I like what I see. I think some th- some things though still make me scratch my head. To be honest, I try to stay mostly positive about the Mozilla Foundation, but there are some things they get into. I'm like, what a waste of time and money. But for you know, but for their core thing, Firefox, this mm-hmm. is this is the best Firefox I've ever seen. I would definitely say it's worth the upgrade to 55. Definitely. And 57 is already coming in November. Ooh, that's yeah. exciting! Uh, also, little uh, little side note: get test it right now. Get a little uh, get a little more of uh, producer Michael there. He was on the most recent episode of Late Night Linux as one of their uh, co-hosts. He did a great job. Good work on that, Michael. That's awesome. Yeah, uh, and uh, <clears throat> check out Late Night. Uh, or I'm sorry, uh, you can also check out Joe on uh, Linux Action News, which I've now mentioned several times. <laughs> but it's because we've been covering all of this on there. <laughs> Uh, yeah, anyways, uh, more info uh, from OMG Ubuntu, which we will have linked in the show notes. And uh, I think I'm going to – I'm not saying I'm making a big switch. I'm not making a big deal out of it. I'm just going to use it more. I'm just going to start using it more for more stuff. And then 57 switch. Makes sense. Maybe. Maybe. I mean, I'm just going to – basically, I'm just going to get it spun up and running alongside Chrome. It'll and have then, a place. And then if I see if I can just make the hop over, you know. See, see eventually if I can't get well, there. Well, why do you even have to choose one over the other? Why not just use both? Right. I think what would happen is one might become the primary driver, which always is the one with the canonical bookmarks and all that kind of stuff and the canonical extensions. And then one would become like my backup browser. What you need is a cross-browser bookmark syncing. So they're both mm-hmm. bookmarked. Yeah, there was something that did that for a long time. My yeah, other problem X-Men. is links, like when I want yeah, it to open, like which one's my default. So yes. easy, like a like yeah. a GNOME extension to switch your default, right. that would be nice. Right. I just don't want, I want every I want every application to let me right click and open in the browser. Mm-hmm. I select mm-hmm. at that moment. A, a little switch in your your taskbar that that switches between Chrome and Firefox. Yeah. Is the default. Oh, like a middleware for all MIME types that opens <laughs> oh, up with a like. What We're do getting you want? crazy. We're getting crazy. Let's take a moment. <laughs> let's calm down. Let's talk about DigitalOcean. Woo. Right. I bet, breathe, you, breathe. I bet you could do it with their API, Chris. <laughs> I bet you could. They got a great API and a dashboard for days. DigitalOcean.com. Go over there, log into that dashboard, or create an account and apply our promo code DO Unplugged. And you get a $10 credit. You can spin up their $5 rig two months for free or use their hourly pricing to bang around on a new open source project you're trying out. You can get deployed in seconds in all of their machines from their best price to their crazy big dogs that are monsters are all SSD based. With lightning fast 40 gigabit networks, team team account uh, capabilities so you can work together with folks like so uh, so if you got like say an alta speed and a jupiter broadcasting kind of situation highly available block storage so you can grow the storage on your droplet as you need it pre-built open source applications you can get spun up or start with the machine from the very bare metal and uh, you can use their html5 console to get some fancy features and then they got boss mode where you can do monitoring and alerting stay on top of performance receive alerts when things go down and load balancing as a service and firewall at the network level so you can set rules, and then they block it at the network level so that crap never even hits your droplet. DigitalOcean.com. Use our promo code Unplug. Damn, what a good service. They just posted uh, two days ago. Uh, maybe you're about that. Or maybe three days ago. How to install WordPress with Caddy on CentOS 7. So you want to get set up with Caddy and WordPress, and this is a really nice way to manage WordPress. And you want to do it on CentOS? They got a guy. Oh, what? What? You don't you don't want to do it on Well they got a guy for Ubuntu six, you know, Forte. Oh my god, how do I they do it? Fedora though. Just follow the set damn it, Liz. Just follow the Okay. Jeez. <laughs> and they even have free BSD up there on that DigitalOcean. Go check it out. DigitalOcean.com. Use our promo code D O unplug. Check out that dashboard for days. You just gotta create that account first. You wanna know something, Chris? I think their dashboard 
sits on top of their API that yeah, everybody else uses. It is an API client. And I think that's why the API is so complete, yeah. is because their dashboard is a, is a client of their own API, which is a pretty hip way of doing things these days. You got you to gotta admit. They're real pros over there. They take it really seriously. And it that's means all that their stuff is so good. Yeah, we use it every single live broadcast. So you know it's good stuff. Like we rely on it 100% here. Every day. Yeah. So digitalocean.com, use our promo code DO Unplugged after you've created your account. And a huge thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring. <gasps> all right, I'm very excited. I just decided before I went on air that I'm going to do a meetup, a last-minute meetup, in just a few days. On August 21st, something amazing is happening here in the States. On August 21st, the United States will be treated to a total solar eclipse, one that will span the country from sea to shining sea. It'll be the first time that's happened in nearly 100 years. So this eclipse, uh, solar eclipse, is going to be going right over just 200 miles south of Seattle. Like, prime right over. And I'm like, okay, I, I, I got to see this. I got to go to this. Right? I got to go. I mean, if it's only 200 miles away, I can jump in my truck. I've and I've never can, seen the Corona before. I can make that drive in five hours. I got to go. I got to go. So I've decided I am going to go on Monday the 21st down to the Oregon coast. Pacific Wayside Crest is where I'm going to be at, which is about an hour and change east of Salem. The, and it's just north of Lincoln City. The sun and the moon are going to go directly over Lincoln City, like square smack dab. And we're just north of Lincoln City, and we're going to be on the coast, the Oregon coast, watching this eclipse over the water. It's going to be amazing. So I thought, you know what? If anybody's in that area, this is a this is a really once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. If anybody's in that area and wants to meet up, uh, maybe we should do it. Maybe we should do it. So I set up a meetup. Uh, so you go to meetup.com slash Jupiter Broadcasting. I think you'll you'll see it there. I also have a link in the show notes. If you want to join me and uh, Hidea. So, so Chris, have you ordered any of the uh, the special solar glasses? No, but I did get an ND filter for my drone, so okay. which is the That's priority. The important obviously. Part, yeah. <laughs> so, so what you're saying is you're going to go to Oregon to see a solar eclipse, yeah. and then you're going to look at a drone screen to watch it? Exactly, yeah. It's HD. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a high-res screen. I'm going to order you some of those glasses. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I know. I know it's going to be crazy, Micah. It's going to be crazy. Crazy amounts of people in Oregon, I would imagine. Uh, I'm planning to sleep on the side of the road. I'm not even going to try to book. And this thing, uh, this place that I'm having the meetup at is just like some like pull-off on the side of the road, but it's right there on the on the water. It's got like parking, so I figured we'd give it a go. Is there, is there a good Wi-Fi, Chris? Uh, well, I don't know. I could try to bring a MiFi. If there's a good Wi-Fi, you could do a JB Eclipse stream, like they're saying. In the That'd chat be room. so cool! Oh my gosh! I, yes. You know, if it's possible, I I definitely consider that way. It. That way, for people that don't live in the path, that of the would solar be eclipse, really so you cool. Can bring it actually, through. yeah. If we have a good signal there, I'd consider it's going to be on the coast. So we're either going to have great signal or no signal. So again, it's going to be Monday, August twenty first. Uh, the eclipse happens around ten a.m. It's going to run to about one p.m. for the viewing. So I figure we'll just set the meetup for that. It's Pacific Wayside Crest, and I have the address in the show notes as well as a link to the meetup. Could be fun. Right? Oh, yeah. Ooh, Chris, are you going to become a citizen scientist? NASA says that you can. I Sure. He may already well, be. Maybe, yeah. I mean, I am I already? A, maybe I'm already a citizen Do you often scientist. mix unknown chemicals together? I think that's all it takes. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa! So no, what I, I think that's the start of Breaking Bad. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Okay, I'm getting confused. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that's what's in an IPA. Yeah, <laughs> that's what... <laughs> So I'm really excited because I'm just going to take Highway 101 down mm-hmm. right on the gorgeous coast. I mean, it's, it's it's people talk about the California coast and all that kind. Of, it's nice, but the Oregon coast is really a gem. It's one of the gems of of the United States. So if you if you ever want to come to the states and do a road trip, take the 101 coast. It's, the only thing you're risking though, being on that side of the mountains, is rain? them clouds. Oh yeah, rain. Also, 
constant construction on Highway 101. Yeah, right. That's it's constant construction. But we're going to come down 101, end up uh, just uh, south of Pacific City, just a little north of uh, Nesquin, uh, north of Lincoln City, east of Salem. And uh, gosh, that'd be, what a cool event. Linux geeks hanging out, looking at an eclipse. We should also just mention that we're really very lucky. There's no reason that the area that the moon and the sun take up in the sky should be so close. Right. But they just happen to be. They're well, both the, the, the size sun, difference, the, the location. It's amazing. This really, we'll get off this now, but the sun is 400 times larger than the moon. But it's also 400 times further away from the Earth. So they wound up being about the same size in our just sky. Just a wonderful natural chance. So, it's great. It's, so, it is so great. Here's the question. Between the sun and the moon, which one runs Windows and which one runs Linux? Uh, definitely the moon because nothing's ever changing with the moon. It's just boring and plain where Fair. the sun is constantly sun is regenerating. Volatile. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Is is that why the moon gets bigger in the fall? They they install system data. Yeah. <laughs> no, and then the, the fall. It's the big. Uh, it's the fall creators update or whatever the hell Microsoft calls it. Oh. Uh, so, anyways, if you want to hang out with me, meetup.com slash Jupiter Broadcasting. Link in the show notes. I just think that'd be really cool. I'll probably do a little vlogging while I'm down there. Do some drone shots. You never know. Could turn out crap, but could be a lot of fun. I want to give a shout-out to a friend of the show, Michael Dominic from Coda Radio, who's getting some love over at betanews.com this week for his new launch over at The Mad Botter, which is the Alice AI bot, and I love it. It's such a great idea because it handles all these things that, as humans, we're horrible at, like generating reports on the fly, nagging clients to I pay, that. pinging your project members to get status updates. Uh, it's it's really Reek cool. guy telling me to finish the show notes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, this yeah. guy, this guy, he sees JBot, he takes the idea and he monetizes it, and he doesn't even throw right. back me any money. Well, he says that Alice was born out of the challenges he faced when do- yeah. managing a distributed team. Now, I I actually I grok it because you know we have that too to a, to a degree, and the bot can just sort of smooth over a few areas. So it's it's pretty cool to see him getting that. And if you're curious about it, I check it out. He's got a great new website. TheMadBotter.com, where you can we can look at it and uh, also listen to last week's Coder Radio. He talks about some of the frameworks he used to create this and uh, the back end stuff. It's a pretty cool project. Did Did he say what language it was in? Uh, well, it's all in the I, I don't remember, but it's all in the Coder. Uh, yeah, he did, but it's all in the Coder Radio that we did. Okay, yeah. Uh, now let's talk about GTK Four. It may be here sooner than we thought. Of course, Guadic just wrapped up in Manchester, and the GTK maintainers got together and started talking. And they got together a list of current blockers for GTK4. And the list isn't as long as you might suspect. Don't think we have a timeline on any of these, but uh, they're working on a really cool constraint-based layout feature. They have uh, also, uh, they're working on a finished GL renderer. They are, uh, they are doing event cleanup. They're handling keyboard events better. Uh, they're working on non-fallback text rendering. It's, it's just a, it's like a few things that once these couple of like, Big, important, but not all of that major things get wrapped up. We essentially will have GTK4 upon us, which is good. However, I can think of a handful of places <coughs> that aren't even caught up to GTK3 yet. So it's almost like uh, mm, they're getting lapped. Sure. What's that, Alexa? She's not sure. Alexa, that r- it how run- are you feeling? Is you good? I'm doing great. Good, good. It's reading season, and I love a good story. She, wow. B- bitch needs to shut her mouth. Shut up. She likes a good story. Chris. I think it runs XFCE underneath. <laughs> yeah, it just doesn't have a display port. Well, she interrupted. The mumble room is more behaved than the Echo. <laughs> Chris, Chris, maybe she just wants to learn about Linux. Don't, don't be rude. 
Uh, speaking of the mumble room, I feel fine. I love a good story. There you go. <laughs> Anybody in the mumble room have thoughts about GTK four? Things still on GTK two. Anybody care? Should we just move on? <laughs> it's. I, I think that it's going to be an interesting thing, mainly because uh, like how many things that are based on GTK are going to be just sticking to the LTS, so they don't have to have this massive headache. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like Mate's already pretty much pointed out that they're going to do it. Like I don't know if they made an official announcement, but there's been talks on like the mailing list and stuff that they're going to stay with the LTS of GTK three. And like how important is GTK four other than GNOME users? Mm-hmm. I'm gonna bet like very yeah. little. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Okay, so let's you guys you guys ever have a friend who like shows up and just sort of like drops the bomb that they got like this brand new amazing car or a huge powerful new laptop and they just try to be all sly about it. Like they don't want they they want you to know, but they don't just want to come out and say I bought something new so they oh yeah that yeah I've got but yeah, like, could Chris, you read this? It says uh, BMW. Chris, I already talked about my video card. We I know. I was just gonna it. say, just like the parents <laughs> boom his video card. Uh, I feel like that's what our friends over at Purism are doing today. Um, they're like, hey, uh, go ahead and just share your input on our upcoming phone that everybody upcoming obviously knows phone? about. Wait, yeah. what? Yeah, yeah. And then like then they they say we know your time's precious, so we've made filling out the survey only a few minutes. But then the link to the survey is. I think it's crossed out. I don't know why it's crossed out. Uh, so apparently, the survey was made a year ago. <laughs> oh, okay. So apparently, uh, apparently, this is a thing that was floating around again on the web. Yeah. This a whole phone thing. This whole like we're going to make a phone thing. I'd like to know if there's any any smoke to this rumor or any fire to this smoke of a rumor because I've seen this floating around a couple of times. Uh, yes. Are we? Uh, they are making a phone. Are we really going to do this again? Are we really going to do that? Is that really? They they say they're making a phone, yeah, and they're using the core baseband's that are built into it, so they can have like I forgot what they were what they were what they were using to make it comp- compensate for it, so that it will be it'll use a regular distro, yeah. It's and it they've been talking about it for quite a long mm-hmm. time, yeah. Well, like they just September. not very, yeah. Well, yeah, but I've been saying like that that's where them last September they were talking about you know we're interested in it. They officially announced they were going to do it like seven months ago. But they do it. They when they announce things, they do it in this like in this the sly thing that you're saying. Like uh, I I talked to them in a conversation, and they were like, "Oh well, you know." And also, we're I'll, I'll go ahead and tell you we're working on a phone. I'm like, oh okay. It's like you might want to tell people that. I'm really, I part of me wants to sit here and mock this. Like, how have we not learned this lesson? Um, Very painfully. But then, so, then I also sit here and I think. Well, shit. I there's not actually like one phone that I really like. I'm super happy with right now. I, there is still room to build the right phone for me. Well, my question is, why are they trying to put a desktop Linux distro on a phone when they're there's, not? There's, well, they're making a custom. It's 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 distro. It's a it's a distro desktop distro like underneath, but it's like it's like how Plasma Mobile is going to be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, but that's my question. Why don't they just use something like Sailfish or Plasma Mobile? That already exists, rather than trying to reinvent the wheel again. As far well, Postmobile is not ready, and Selfish is yeah, uh, yeah. So, unreliable. So, well, so put your development effort into that. It, well, yeah, this is a hard line because I agree with that part. Um, I feel like they should be focusing on the laptops, like get the laptops just solid and shipping, and you know, get all that. I know they're working on all that, but like to me, it just that, that's where you have maybe the most buy-in already, and mm-hmm. you know, I want a Linux, great Linux laptop. Yeah. What do you think, MonkeyCom? Are you desperate for a new phone? No, but it, I mean, we always talk about how Ubuntu failed at the phone, but 
I couldn't even get one if I wanted to when they were even making them. So it's like, what I get frustrated about is when everyone says Ubuntu failed to deliver the phone. It sold out every version. single one of them. Well, that, doesn't that tell you that them getting into this area might not be as easy as it sounds? Part of that I think Ubuntu was trying to build for the for the carriers. They wanted to have that phone in Verizon stores and AT and T stores, and and they were think they were going head to head. If they would have just produced the produced something that could run on the hardware that we could get, then there we go. That is what Purism doing. They're they're talking about making one phone, and the OS is specifically for that phone. Mm. I don't think that's a bad idea. I mean, that's how they that's how they solved the the baseband issue. Poby, do you think this is uh, worth trying still, especially uh, maybe this type of approach? Having some experience in the uh, <laughs> the open source phone uh, area, mm-hmm. um, I think it's difficult because each each of the vendors took a completely different strategy. Like Mozilla took a completely different strategy with their Firefox phone than Sailfish did with theirs, than we did with ours, uh, than Tizen do with theirs. Like the Tizen model is Samsung throw a giant bucket of money at it, and that's what makes it happen. Um, But the others chose completely different methods. And if Purism have a different strategy that, that differs from the failed strategies of canonicals and uh, mozillas then maybe maybe they have something i i'm not quite sure what that strategy would be that would be successful hmm. but good luck to them i do wonder if there is some room for low volume handset manufacturers to do something that's different than the rest of the market minimech isn't there a bigger problem though here like it's the ecosystem the apps the whole ecosystem it's yeah it's again another operating system with the application gap problem. You see, Ubuntu Touch had a good idea that they tried to do some web pages, use some web pages and do apps with that. That would have been a lesser problem with the application gap. But if you have an operating system again, where you have to develop some applications and everything, you will have some huge problems. It's always the same. I think the solution is, is obvious, and it's been around for uh, almost 10 years now, and, and we all, we've all had the solution. WebOS. WebOS. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. You know what else was a solution before WebOS? I is, love uh, it. I think Nokia came out with that Mamo, which was just a, yeah. a Linux tablet. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was actually pretty good. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. Then Mego. God, it's funny you say Mego that. was cool. Oh, that's so true. That's all so true. That, like that we kind of did arrive on the solution, but it was just too early. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, too early, and their hardware was crap. But the software was amazing. I still have a, my Palm Pre Plus, which is awesome, except for the hardware itself is crap. Yeah, like the battery was the yeah. atrocious. But the software is amazing still, and you can still technically get it. Uh, it's it's just I don't know. Yeah, we have it. People use it. Just do it. There was a lot of really good ideas in it. I think that's why it still gets mentioned even today. It's uh, never will die. It never will die. All right. Well, I have uh, we have some slack to get to, don't we? But we also have uh, a really cool application that uses just the built-in container features. Actually, that might be even giving it too much credit. It really just uses the built-in namespacing feature of Linux to give you some excellent security for anything that might be internet-facing. Uh, It's like on-demand sandboxing. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. First, I want to thank Linux Academy for sponsoring the Unplugged program. This is is just such a – I couldn't even imagine a sponsor this great when I was starting Jupiter Broadcasting. 
Um, just such a great fit because it's it's Linux focused, Linux enthusiasts creating a platform for people to learn more about Linux. And they just, that's what they work at every single day. Linuxacademy.com slash unplugged. That's where you go to sign up and get a free seven-day trial so you can try the platform out as well. Self-paced, in-depth video courses on every Linux cloud and DevOps topic. They give you hands-on scenario-based labs that really help you learn how to use this stuff. And so you walk away with the self-experience of actually having hands-on with the material, which for me is a total anxiety solver. That goes from I'm totally anxious about a job to I got this. And if you ever get stuck, they have full-time human instructors that are there to help ready to give you any advice that you might need. They spin up their cloud servers on demand. You select a distribution. The courseware and the cloud servers match that automatically. You're busy. We're all busy. So they have a course scheduler that works with your busy time frame, helps you stick to your learning goals. If you just want to deep dive and get certs, well, of course, they've got courses created specifically to prepare you for that. And learning paths. So if you want to go down a series of courses and content planned by instructors for specific entire tracks of a career, they've got that too. Flashcards that are forked by a community that's stuffed full of Jupiter Broadcasting members. It's such a great platform. Linuxacademy.com slash unplugged. Grab the iOS or Android app as well, so that way you get value on the go. And enjoy the downloadable stuff that works like offline, like their audio and their study guides. It's just great for taking on the go when you want to listen to something offline. Linuxacademy.com slash unplugged. And thank you. <coughs> Got to get the bell in there. Thank you to Linux Academy for sponsoring the Unplugged program, Linuxacademy.com slash Unplugged. So FireJail is a SUID program that, or, you know, a SUID program that reduces the risk of security breaches by restricting the running environment, say, of Firefox or Chrome, for example, to a Linux namespace, which pretty cool right there. And it uses a couple other technologies that are all just baked right into the Linux kernel. Uh, stuff in the network stack, the process table, the mount table. It's written in C. It has virtually no dependencies. It runs on any Linux computer with a 3.x kernel or newer. Okay? If I got your attention, how great yeah. is this? This is one of these things I just love about Linux. I just love this. I get so fired up about this because this is so fantastic. Um, and so you know it's going to be easy to get going because there's, there's uh, no daemons running in the background. There's no complicated configuration files to edit. The sandbox is super lightweight and the overhead is low because it's just using the namespace stuff built into the frickin' kernel. And all the security features are implemented by the kernel. So as long as the kernel's good, this security of fire jail is good. So it's, it's, it's dumb, dumb, dumb easy to get working. You can, you can just say, for example, if you want a fire jail VLC, <clears throat> who knows what that crazy VLC is doing? Not nearly as trustworthy as that MPV. You could just write in FireJail space. <laughs> I, I kid. I love you guys at VLC. FireJail space VLC. And it will start VideoLand client in an isolated namespace, still has access to the network and can still do your business, but uh, is completely like it could be it could be it could be violated. It could be like violated with zero day from Edward Snowden directly his personal stash. And it's contained into this namespace. So if you have something that's internet-facing, maybe like probably something like transmission, maybe you're doing like torrents or something like that, and you have a listening port for remote web management, fire jail that son of a gun. So that's a good phrase right there. That's the takeaway for the whole episode. Just fire jail. Fire jail that son of a gun. There's also a graphical interface, which I haven't checked out, uh, but it's called Fire Tools. Mm. What, what, what? The, the graphical interface is uh is clunky and uh awkward and it has to, it has to, it's 
it's not really a GUI. It's just like a little overlay thing. So okay. it's, most people wouldn't use it. Okay, so nice. So you have. You, so I've not to tried put it, it in your like your .dot desktop file or something. There you okay. So so that would then when you use the .dot desktop file, you would launch yeah, it with FireJail just to just to isolate it at at start. Yeah, I like that. And also, I've been using FireJail for a long time because uh, the best way to do security sandboxing of app images is to use FireJail. Oh, tell me about that. Well, I mean, essentially, it does the same thing that that uh, fire gelling a regular program would do. But the main thing about it with uh, with app images is because app images doesn't really have a security mechanism and built into it. So fire gel kind of wraps that around giving it a sandboxing of an app image, oh. so you can have everything stored in its individual sandbox and namespace with app images, while at the same time app app images are still integrated with the theme and font and um, you know home folder config files and stuff like that. That is that is that is great, uh, Veritunu. You've also used Fire Jail, Fire Jail for a while. Yeah, I mean, um, I'm quite sure you mentioned on less, which is quite why I picked up in the first place. But um, the the cool thing about Fire Jail is that it will make sim links for your common applications like Firefox and Thunderbird or whatever else. Ah. And the configuration files are very very simple to look at because it basically gives you a a set of directories to whitelist and uh, blacklist and all that sort of stuff, hmm. and gives it restrictions to kind of read-write access to individual uh, file system parts, which is quite good, but also quite annoying sometimes in Firefox, because uh, if you forget to sort of like, you know, whitelist your downloads directory, then you're stuffed. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, if, you, if you want to try and read from another directory to try and upload to a website, then you have to, you know, think about that a thought ahead of time. Sure. Obviously, you're restricted to the file systems okay, right, that you've actually specified in the config file. So the other thing that's, that's nice for Arch users out there is there is an AUR package that's firejail-extras, which has a bunch of extra security profiles. Um, and for Fedora users, there's a copper build for it. There's also an, some Ansible, uh, what's, what do you call a, a role, right? It's an Ansible role. Is that what it is? There's Ansible roles for firejail as well. Uh, which is uh, pretty nice. And then there's a bash script you can use, which maybe I haven't used this either, but maybe producer Michael has could be better than the GUI. It's called fire warden, which is a bash script to open a program with a private fire jail sandbox. So it's yeah, I've, tr- I've tried it, but it's, uh, I prefer the fire jail. It's, it's just, just a simple, simple command. Simple. Yeah. 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 So really, I, I, I use it for, for app images all the time. This is, a but really I, cool I do want to point out one thing. It's a little weird. Oh yeah. Go ahead. Security yeah, go ahead. tool like this. No, who makes it? I have no idea who makes this. Like, if you go to their website, no names, no no GitHub accounts, nothing. Hmm. Like, there is absolutely nothing you could find about who makes this or anything. That's something great for security that you're trying to rely on. Look at this little uh, little conspiracy yeah. bacon here on the uh, on the. Well, the only reason I program. use it is because it uses built-in kernel stuff. But right, that's it what I was is just pretty thinking. weird. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it's not like it's it's not like they're rolling their own crypto and creating their own sandbox technology. They're just. Just a rapper, yeah. But it is that is weird. Now, now you got me looking. Now, it's, now, I'm, yeah. now I'm digging around. I, you won't find it on their GitHub or their or their WordPress. And it's a like WordPress site. It's not even yeah. like a real yeah. site. It's, yeah. it's, so there's kind of like NSA namespaces that just send everything right back to them. <laughs> no, nah, it's the Russians. No, I believe it's speaking to China. Don't you know that? Oh yeah, you're right. It's no, we're Russia now. You're right. Sorry, it's Russia now. Yeah. Get with the times. I know it's oh, hard to keep. Or track. it could be North Korea. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, I'm, I really see nothing. You're right. I've, that is so weird. 
Uh, anyways, anyway. Fire Jail looks like a pretty cool tool, <laughs> even if producer Michael has me now freaked out. <laughs> so, so n- n- now that You're we've got all conspiracy, can I completely derail us? Yeah. Uh, I would like to mention that currently uh, DebConf 17 is going on. Yeah, right now. with uh, our, In our Canadian to the north area in Montreal. I wonder if Alan Jude's going to go. Something tells me he'll probably miss that it one. It started on Sunday, but it's it goes until the 12th. Oh, yeah, that's very long. And if there are some streams going on there too, but don't go, don't leave. Oh God, oh God, we shouldn't. Oh God, yeah. watch directly after. I wonder if they'll post them well, somewhere after text now. They already do that. Yeah, I wonder. I'll, on I, the meetings Debian video page, okay. can post okay. it. Right. I might go check that out then. That could be could be, mm-hmm. could be some good stuff in there. I'd love to go to something like that one time. I got to get my passport. I really got to get my crap together on yeah, that. So they still have four days to go. Og Camp is also, you know, we should give the guys for Og Camp a plug because yeah, that's, uh, that's coming up like super soon. I don't, know, I, I don't know what their ticket situation is or none of that. I got no affiliation with them, but Og Camp 17 is going on August 19th and uh, August 20th in Canterbury. So, <clears throat> and look, it's proudly sponsored by Introware. Uh You might uh, check it out because they're selling. They still have tickets for sale on the website, and uh, so that's coming up. Actually, as well. the Tickets are free. Uh, you can don't you can optionally it's uh, pay what you want. So you can either get a free ticket and uh, not pay, or you can pay every year. We've done this, and uh, if you choose to pay, then that money goes towards um, you know funding funding the event. And usually, the community that that optionally donates actually qualifies for like gold level sponsorship because they all throw in enough money. Um, it works out quite well. Wow. Oh. Well, there you go. So you can find out more at ogcamp.org if uh, you're near uh, Canterbury. What about you, uh, Popey? Are you going to make it? I'm not sure. I've got a whole lot of family stuff going on that weekend, so I may I may not. It might be a last-minute thing. Isn't that always the way it goes? Isn't that just You have nothing for like three weeks, and then and boom, everything on that one it all, weekend. It all, it all hits at once. Yeah. Joe from Linux Action News is going to be there. Yep, yep. I, I, oh, I'm definitely not going. There. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, I definitely would love to be able to go to next year's. I, that's kind of like a personal milestone. Fun. Is like get my crap together. The problem is, is I got to go get my passport, and it's you can't just like submit a picture, go online, and order it. Like you got to go to like two or so different physical locations, like three times. I don't know. It's a damn process, and ain't nobody got Chris time got for no that. time for processes. They don't <laughs> want Americans leaving, Chris. I haven't even gotten my oil changed in my truck for like 4,000 miles overdue. When am I going to get time to go get my passport done? And you got to go get a picture taken somewhere on some crappy camera. Give me a break. But I'll get around to it, and then hopefully I'll make it Odd Camp 18. Can that uh, Alice bot help you with that? No that do that too? doubt. That would be good. That would be, I really just need like uh, a clone or I need somebody to create like the Mycroft AI system instead of Mycroft developing their own AI. They need to create an AI framework in which it can watch all of the Jupiter Broadcasting content in its totality and then synthesize a version of me based on its observations, which would probably be a little extreme, but okay, and then make decisions for me automatically online like pay bills respond to emails then i'd have time to go out and get my passport so Minecraft should pivot and work on that create an ai framework that analyzes an individual and then recreates their personality and then is gets close enough where it can make decisions for them isn't that already what google's doing i feel like they're doing that on the back end for ads and stuff yeah, yeah. we just need somebody doing that in the open source space we're behind <laughs> right, yeah <laughs> i don't want to think anymore yeah just somebody do it just somebody just yeah yeah Beans with hair, exactly. That's all I want. Is, is just uh, make it even call it beans. Well, that should be what that should, they should they should t- change it to beans, and it'll be the bean system. Anybody with me? 
Nobody? Nobody? I'm just out on my own on this one, huh? Okay. Good enough. Well, let's talk about Ting then. Everybody right now, linux.ting.com. Everybody loves Ting. Go there and get yourself a mobile device that uh, you only pay for what you use. It's just $6 for the line. There's no crazy contracts, no agreements, quote unquote. It's just pay for what you use, a fair price, nationwide coverage with a great dashboard, $6 for the line. And no magic beans involved. No. I mean, maybe if those are your own, but uh, that's not Ting's thing. That's that's your own thing. That's how you go. You go to linux.ting.com to get $25 off a device if you want to buy one from Ting. Or if you bring one, check their BYOD page because they have a CDMA and GSM network. So you can bring quite a bit of devices. A lot of low-powered IoT devices work with that too. It's pretty slick for $6 a month. Um, and also while you're there, linux.ting.com, check out their blog. they got a solid post right now on fiber optic internet and talking about in- the future infrastructure of America. And I like the argument that they make here. It's pretty solid. They included an embedded video with one of their executives. It's all, it's all pretty nice, and it's pretty good talking points for yourself, too. Check it out. Go to linux.ting.com. Learn more about Ting. It's just a smarter way to do mobile. It's really how they'd have to do mobile in the U.S. today if they were to start over. If the industry had to reboot, they'd have to do it this way. Nobody'd accept anything else. Once you switch, it's everything else looks so crazy complicated. It's really nice. Linux.ting.com. Thank you to Ting for sponsoring the Unplugged program. Linux.ting.com. I tell you what, Chris, I might have to look at their uh, their phone shop soon because this phone is not doing so hot. Really, is it starting to starting to give out on you? Well, the start stopped uh, reading the sim the other day when it got really. Oh, warm. that's right. Yeah. 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 Yeah, Chase has been having problems with his Nexus 6. He's, uh, Is that right? He's going to give us an update on the next user error, but he's been doing some ROM hopping. So that's kind of interesting. I've been doing some distro hopping. Tried out Slackware this week. What an experience it was, too. <laughs> um, so I'd never done it. I'd, I'd always, you know, by the time I got onto Linux, uh, SUSE was already a thing. So I just skipped right over Slackware and I went with SUSE. And um, <clears throat> then later Red Hat and Mandrake and all those. Gen but, 2. Of course. But Slackware is uh, one of the OG Linux. It's the oldest distribution that's still being maintained. It's 24 years old. Oh, we should have shown one of those uh, charts of all the yeah, distro Yeah, history. right, right. Yeah, no kidding. You can find them, though. Uh, it started in 1993. It was originally based on so- soft landing Linux system. Slackware has been the basis for a bunch of other distributions as well, like SUSE, like I just mentioned. Uh, its initial release was July 17th, 1993. The version we tried out today, version 14.2, was released on June 30th, 2016. So it's just over a year old by just a couple of days. So the release that Wes and I have been running is just over a year old, came out last June. Um, So I thought let's start with the installation because it is very much an old school type Linux. It really took me back actually to early days of Debian to some degree too. You boot, uh, in this case, I booted from a USB disk. I tried to get the CDs, but I just didn't have enough time for them to make it for the show. And it's like a six-disc set, which is adorable. Or you can get one big DVD. So I got the DVD USB image, flashed that uh, to a thumb drive, and I booted my system. When it boots up, it immediately drops you to just a login prompt. The, the installer does. You just go to a login prompt, um, and you are prompted to log in as root. It's like just tells you to log in as root. You hit root, and it just logs you in. There's no password. Nope. And uh, then it tells you with the message of the day to uh, ru- to type in setup or to run like fdisk and start partitioning your crap. Yeah, a little bit like the Arch installer in that, in that way. Yeah, yeah. And so you can, you know, there's there's various ways you can set up your partition schemes. You can do it manually and before you launch the installer or you just type in setup and it launches the, the Slackware setup. 
Here's the important part, Chris. Does it support ButterFS? <laughs> I actually don't think I did see ButterFS. Um, it was really almost immediately at this point I was I, I was left feeling this is already something that all of the other Linux distributions literally solved 10 years ago. And that was they took the installer and they removed as many steps that were not necessary. Like making me log in when I only have one login option and there's no password, just log in for me. There's nothing else I can do, so just log in for me. If if I can either only partition my disk or start the setup, just ask me which one of those things I want to do and then do it. You know, or at a, least it's, it could be a little more explicit in that, like, it's that part especially. Like, I don't mind a few simple steps, but that part was confusing because, like... You just drop to a terminal. And it doesn't even say that there's no password. They just You just have to... You find out, but you hit enter, like, okay, it worked, great. But yeah. yeah, you had no that, idea. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe it's just a step to get rid of all the noobs. Yeah, that's, that's, it almost worked. Filter. So. Yeah, <laughs> almost. Uh, but it seems like modern Linux has worked out those unneeded steps. This again, it feels more like uh, Linux from a, another time, and in a way, that feels kind of good too. It though it does, yeah, it's not necessarily all bad. It's it uses an old school Ncurses installer, which uh, has always worked really well for me. I've never had uh, a problem with Ncurses no. UIs. Simple works on yeah. pretty much anything. You can do it over VGA. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I did the option. I wonder if you did this too, where it says, "What packages would you like?" And one of them is just install everything. Recommended. Yeah, and it's in. Yeah. Yes, I did. Which that itself was. This is a. This is totally. It. It also feels like a. A different time, a yes. different era, and it's kind of nice. Yeah. So I did the same thing. I installed all the things. Uh, then the thing I liked at the end of the installation, which I wish all Linux installers like at least maybe give me a checkbox at the beginning to turn this option on. Is it prompted me to create a USB boot stick that was like your like that was interesting. Yeah, here's your rescue USB stick. You create this, and if you can't get your system to boot, dummy, put this USB stick in, and we'll take you right to the root of your file system. And I was like, that's a great idea. Every Linux distro should offer that. Yeah. Uh, so I like that. Did aspect you do that? Um, no, I no. skipped it as well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's a great idea that I'm not going to use. Well, because I, I only had the one USB on me that yeah. had the Slack where I was like, yeah. well, if this doesn't go well, I'm yeah. going to need to do it again. So, so what you guys say or saying is that you came to Slack not ready to play with Linux. Well, I just like I'm only using it for the week. I knew I wasn't going to be if sticking I had been around. Installing it with a DVD, and then I had a flash, or if I just had a second flash drive, which I think was just you know in a different bag. But yeah, yeah. So uh, did you uh, did you get X? Did you go all the way up to X and do oh, a yeah. desktop? I got yeah. uh, I got KDE. On did there. you? Mm-hmm. I went with Mate. Oh, yeah. See, I, yeah. I, I, that's nice. Yeah, it was. It actually was. It was just fine. And I, you know, I'm not such a Mate connoisseur that I can't tell like a super old version of Mate from a. I can tell it's an older version, but I can't tell mm-hmm. like how out of date it is. So to me, it's like that's fine. This works. This is doing the job. Um, well, you just miss that the new super key hotness. That's that's the only yes. thing I know. I I got a little um, antsy pretty quick when it came to software availability. And uh, at first, I ran into like, God, all these packages in the repo are so damn old, and all this stuff is just too ancient. I can't use this. It was nice though to like. It was so strange to have all the things. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, yes. there's just like nine gigs of software that yes. I already had. Yes. Building things, I don't need to install any build no. dependencies because no. they're all there. Yeah. Um, but I pretty soon found myself coming across slackbuilds.org. Yeah, yeah. Did you go to Slack oh, Builds? Yeah. yeah. That's how I got Chrome. I got Slack on there, which oh, Slack did, for huh? Slack was kind of hard yeah. to, to search for. That is funny. <laughs> so that is uh, <laughs> the modern terminology, Actually, I took, dude. I didn't see, so they have Chromium on there. They don't have Chrome, but I was yeah. able to take yeah. the uh, Slack build script for Slack because it's just both Chrome and Slack give you a deb. Yeah. And I just converted it. So now that I made one for Chrome. So this is so let's talk about this for a second. So slackbuild.org is pretty cool. Slack builds. 
I should say, builds with an S, dot org. Uh, they say their goal is to have the largest collection of Slack build scripts, which Slack build scripts is the very mechanism that uh, Slack is put together with, uh, Slackware is put together with. They want to have the largest collection of Slack build scripts available while still ensuring that they are of the highest quality. So they test every submission prior to including the repository. Nice. So it's not that this is a repository of software, but it's a repository of Slack builds that link out to other software and they QA them before they list them in the directory. That's pretty handy to have. I mean, yeah. the ones I used, they they did just work. It's yeah. curated build scripts. Yeah. And that, I'm like, okay, all right, I, I can... I Especially can. when, since you already have a bunch of the dependencies and they kind of know what those are, it mm-hmm. seems pretty, you know, it's less of a moving target than the AUR yeah. might be. I, um... Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say it's like a higher quality AUR because it's getting testing. Yeah, and it's it's more focused in some degree. Um, and there's some stuff, like I said, like Firefox is still not the latest in there. Uh, so I thought a lot about who Slackware is for and if there is a space for like a like a Antigros equivalent of Slackware. Is there room for that? Is there room for a Manjaro equivalent of Slackware? Uh, I looked around a little bit, and I did find uh, Salix, I think is how you said S-A-L-I-X. Salix or Salix. Salix, yeah. Which is a distribution based on Slackware that is simple, fast, and easy to use. They say stability is their primary goal. It's fully backwards compatible with Slackware, so Slackware users can benefit from the uh, Salix repositories, which is kind of neat. They can also use extra quality source uh, software for their... Uh, they can use it as an extra quality source. Um, it's available in uh, several different... Dist- uh, they have a Matei version, they have an XFCE version, a Fluxbox, Openbox. Um, I don't see KDE on here, though. But, uh, yeah, so they have several different versions, 32-bit and 64-bit, and it's sort of like an easy face for Slackware, which I don't really know if there's a market for, because it seems like... If well, you- but why is there a market for that in Arch if and not Slack? I feel like, I feel like Arch is um, more uh, n- new Linux, so there's more when you have when you when your market is new Linux, uh, then you also have a bunch of new users that are looking for an easy on ramp to that. I think maybe so. Because this okay, is from the new user angle, I can get I can see that. Yeah, because yeah, okay. here's where I was going with this is to to answer your question. Yeah. I think it'd be better to answer well, who is Slackware for? Like as a mm-hmm. desktop, who is Slackware for as a desktop user? And I think that that's a little bit of a different question. Um, and I, I did some thinking as I was using Slackware about this trying to get an idea of like who would i recommend this to um and it struck me that uh there's several different analogies you could make but i like the uh i like the analogy that there are simple cars versus easy to use cars the easy to use car will have cruise control it'll have power steering it'll have power brakes you know, it's going to have, like, climate control. Like, my truck even has individual zone climate control, powered mirrors, uh, automated sunroof. You know, these kinds of things that are really easy to use. And it has, like, some sort of voice control system. The simple car doesn't have any of that. You know, maybe it has manual windows. It has a really basic steering. Maybe it's a manual stick. It's not some fancy Ooh, six-speed automatic. Now you're talking my language. Right? It's got, like, you know, it's just windows that you just pull open and pull closed. But the thing is, they never break. They literally just will operate. You see those. You see these cars from the '80s and, and earlier that are just simple built that are on the road still. Um, and like my, and it's funny. Like my RV has a huge truck engine in it, right? And because that's like in a different, it's in a different market. It's actually it's simpler to look under the hood of my RV and do work on my RV than it is my truck because my truck's like wow. a more modern, quote unquote, easy to use vehicle. 
And this is where I see Arch. The, the, the simple car is just reliable, solid. It's exactly what you expect. The easy-to-use car with the automatic transition is going to have more problems. There's no automatic anything in Slackware. Um, if both cars are priced around the same, which in Linux that is true, most people would probably just take the easy-to-use car, which is why things like Ubuntu and Arch are larger, and, and Red Hat, obviously, are, are larger You're than Slack. You're calling Arch easy-to-use right here on the public. Well, Look at that. when you use Anagros and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think it's probably easier to manage software on Arch. Uh, but, but yeah. Uh, well, I, guess, I mean, if you want new things, yes, yes. I would say Slack's easier to just get up. Yes. And, like if you install Especially it with a graphical the graphical GUI. I guess that's where I see like the GUI part is like if you had an Android Ghost installer for Slack, you could just do that and then not touch it. If you had that, like if you get a modern OBS from Slack builds and then just leave that running, I think that'd be a very stable system. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the thing about Slackware, too, is that it's good to build on top of it. It would be good to deploy somewhere that you just want to put in a corner and have run forever. People who value reliability, maintainability, modifiability, I guess, is that a word? Am I making up a word there? Um, And predictability, too, with Slack, I would say, with Slackware. I'd say predictability as well. Mm -hmm. I'd say those are people that would be well-positioned to use Slack. So are we going to use Slack in the studio? It's just, no, it's not my cup of tea. It never has been. That's why I was never particularly drawn to it. I don't have any criticisms of it. It's just not my cup of tea. What was interesting to me was that it felt like it was kind of like, I use I use a, a little bit of CentOS, Ubuntu, and Arch mm. really as my daily driver mm-hmm. between work and personal life. And by and large, the conventions are, are pretty similar. Like Ubuntu does, you know, obviously has the Debian heritage, so it does things some Debian ways and Etsy alternatives, all that stuff. But most of it's the same. Slack was different. Like yeah. the default paths for users yeah. and root were different. Yeah. Um, I was trying to get it up. Like this is the first time I've ever used uh, Lilo. Lilo? How do you? Oh, right. Yeah. 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 Uh, it's Oh, man. I haven't used Lilo in ages. So I accidentally hit don't install it when I rebooted. Oh, so props really? to Slack. Slack is like the easiest thing to boot because they like by default, it uses a huge kernel that has all the modules built into it. <laughs> and so I just I K exact from Arch. But you don't have, a, have to have a kernel command. Like That's all I did awesome. was say like root is dev SDA four, and then I hit k exec, and it just rebooted right into Slack. Um, but but what I noticed trying to get like trying to get it set up through like a Cheroot or systemd spawn was that like some things are just different. Like on their kernels where the EFI variables are different path under slash sys than on Arch. So, and like yeah. different where all the I wonder if they would live. be the same as they are in SUSE because I've noticed that's true when I use SUSE oh, too. Is interesting. Sometimes some of those things are different than they so are. So it's really just a lot of fun to be of a different heritage in yeah. Linux because it, you know, it's like it does there's feel so like much a that we take for granted mm-hmm. when a lot of the things that we have are not Linux or even yeah. GNU Linux by default. It's just modern convention. I, I would tell you, I would say too, there was a, there was a genuine sense of nostalgia when I was using it, uh, which is almost worth just doing for that. If you if you enjoy like um, looking back at older hardware and a different era of computing, when things were a little different, but also you had more control, mm-hmm. um, it's it made me feel nostalgic, and so I enjoyed using it just for that. In fact, you know, I, I would love to take this even further and get like an old computer running with Slackware on there, do the full install, and like I would have done back in the day when I was on a dial-up connection yeah. and. Like, I would much rather take a Slack laptop than an Arch laptop on a plane. Like, yeah. if you're on a 12-hour flight or something. It's true. Or you're on a damn MiFi all the time yeah. like mm-hmm. I am. Right. Yeah. And then go set up and get my Gopher client working and go get on Usenet. So what did you think of, like, 
how do you reconcile between like Slack and Arch? Because I, I feel like there's a lot that is sympathetic between them. Yeah. The desire for simplicity over mm-hmm. ease. The KISS but, principle. But there's, but there's also, they're very divergent in other ways. Yeah, to me, Slackware would be perfect on a old Intel computer that I'm serving up web pages for. And it's something that I don't want to touch for three years. Arch is something that I'm touching several mm-hmm. times a month minimum. That's where I draw the line. Like, so is Arch the like hipster gotta have the new software version? I've been avoiding that hipster word the entire time. I yeah, but Rikai's used it like six times, so I'll use it once. You don't have to say it. Yeah, I, I think your I think your uh, term there, Wes, that you have chosen to use at this juncture is probably a uh, close insinuation of what the uh, potential possible or situation the difference between be. people yeah, so. who are trying out <laughs> a lot of new software versus yes, like using yeah. the same software that they know works. Yeah, Arch yeah. is the new breed hipstery distro, and uh, Slack is for the old graybeards. Yeah, that is one way to put it. I I also would actually say it could be a bit of a history, science history project for new Linux users. You know, um, so say you're you're new to Linux in the last five years, and you want to know what it used to be like for us Linux users that have been around since the '90s. uh, Give this a spin. It gives you a real. It gives you a taste of it without having to actually really like sit there and load it from floppy disks and and really grind it out. Yeah, and you'll get a new appreciation for Grub. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I, I tell you, Lilo is fast as hell, though. Man, it was great. It was great seeing Lilo again. Uh, get, talk about making me nostalgia. Just seeing words can, in, and on on an end cursor screen, seeing Lilo on an, it just made me. Ah, that was good times. It was worth it just for that. It was worth it for the Lilo. You you rekindled that relationship with that old girlfriend. Yeah, it was like coming. To, it was like it was like going to a high school reunion. Literally, it was like going literally going <laughs> to my high school reunion. It's. That's about how long. <laughs> so, yeah. so here's a question: What are you willing to try a uh, another older style distro, but that includes some newer concepts? I mean, I, I uh, sort of. I mean, I'm kind of ready to start on the, my personal journey of picking the distro for You're me. You're ready to start settling again? Well, yeah. this can be a, a separate thing. Okay, what do you got? So, there's uh, this distro called Crux. Oh yeah, oh yeah, we've yeah. talked about it. Well, Crux's big thing too is it's like it's crazy file system, right? Uh, well, the thing I noticed about it is that it uses a a ports package system, like the port system, like the BSD I'm not port sure. system. It says ports. Crux is a lightweight x86 64 optimized Linux distribution targeted experience Linux users, delivered by a tar.gz based package system with the BSD style init scripts. It's not based on any other Linux distribution. It also utilizes a port system to install and upgrade applications. If I recall, it was an inspiration for Arch back in the day, right? And maybe even maybe. some of the original Arch people worked on it, I think. Well, you know, uh, so they had a server failure. Um, it says tomorrow. Yeah, okay, inspired by... How is that possible? Doesn't that, isn't that 2000... No, no. No, that, that's that's European-style uh, dating, isn't it? Isn't that... So the month isn't the middle July, of... Okay. Well, July yeah. 9th? Yeah, okay, July 9th. Okay, all right. Yeah, oh yeah, July 9th. Uh, so during the week of uh, they had a, the, during the week of July 9th, they had a server downtime. But that's the last. Uh, looks like oh okay, here we go. February they released Crux 3.3 of this year. So the project's still active. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I'd be willing to give it a go. I suppose if the audience wants us to. I mean, I don't want to sit there and blow my uh, blow my week if uh, people aren't actually interested in Crux. But I'd be willing to give it a go if people want to let us know. Let us know in the comments. You know, I'll watch the I'll watch for the first couple of days, and if we see people saying "give it a go" in the comments, and they want to hear what using Crux is like, I'll do it. 
I don't know. I, I kind of like the idea of us just looking at some of these more esoteric distros. Going that, back in time in a sense. That are maybe not the most mainstream things. I actually think this is something that open source is uniquely good at because the source code sticks around. Like when proprietary software has a new version, the old version dies. Yep. Like yeah. once that's no longer hosted on their site and no one has an archive of it. It's done. It's, yeah, right. But we, with open source, you can still get the old stuff. You can still build it. We can look at some of these, some of these uh, sideline distros where and find out what they do good that the main guys aren't doing and maybe highlight that. Yeah. I mean, I do think that is a common trend in our in our world is like things succeed partly by, you know, technocratic merit and partly by momentum and there's a lot of mm. things I think like in particular like we would say about Unix perhaps like that old ideas some that were old and weren't modernized but that have very good principles or ideas that just haven't that are yet to be mined by the new mainstream. Hmm. That's very true. Mumble Room any passing or closing thoughts on uh, Slackware? Uh, before old Linux, before we wrap up for the day, going once, going twice. Yeah, okay. That's about that's about uh, that that sentiment right there is about. I I would I would expect the overall actual interest in Slackware. I actually had a lot of fun I on did the too. Slackware challenge. I'm glad that we did it. Yeah, me too. I don't I, think I really it'll be it. in my. Now I can life. say I've used it. Like I don't I don't expect to continue to use it. No, I think that it, probably if I was going to go off Arch, I'd. Something like Solus, Gentoo even. I would do a Gentoo challenge, like 2017 new oh style. Oh, my God. Now, that's a can of worms. Oh, my. I don't know if you're interested in that. And on that bombshell, I say we... Uh... <laughs> all right, all right. Coward. <laughs> all right, I mean, I'm down for it. You, 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 win, win. Uh, we, we, we can pick a next good time week? for both of us, but next week would be fine. All right. So next week, let us know on Crux. Next week, it's going to be the Gentoo challenge. I'm down for that. I am yeah. down for that. Wow. It's been a long time. It's been a long time since I ran Gen 2. Mumble Room, thank you guys very much for making it here. I really appreciate having you guys. You can join us live too, jblive.tv. We do it on Sundays at 2 p.m. Pacific. Go to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar to get that converted to your local time. And you can send us your feedback at jupiterbroadcasting.com slash contact and unplug.reddit.com and jupiterbroadcasting.com slash telegram. Discord Alliance grows. The Discord Alliance, discord.me slash Jupiter Colony. More and more people getting in there. The Hair Care Channel, we mentioned that recently, is getting some attention. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Also, the first place I actually. I honestly thought Hair Care was about um, let's talk about big beards and grooming and stuff like that. You know, beard, you know, that wouldn't be bad, actually. I also kind of think we should create a Rick and Morty channel because... Oh, my gosh. I, no kidding. I got so much Rick and Morty to talk about. Really? It, oh, man. Anytime. Oh, anytime. Oh, oh. I'm, I'm, your, I'm your guy. Yeah? I oh, love yeah. it. Did, have, have you seen Pickle Rick? Of course I've yeah. seen <laughs> Pickle Rick! Watched it the night it came out. Well, what do you think I am? Oh, some barbarian? So Who's good. not obsessed with the show? I love it. I love it. Um, Firefox is on fire. There was something I said at the end, like uh, I did it for the li- I was in it for the Lilo or something like that. That could also be a oh, good yeah. title. What did I say? So uh, I honestly remember news like from uh, several years ago when EF- EFI was becoming popular and Lilo was like going to be dropped. So I guess they eventually did add EFI support to it, and I suppose that's the only way it's used these days. What could we yeah. could use? Uh, we could do some wordplay and be like Lilo with Slackware. 
I was in it for the Lilo. It was too long. I was in it for Lilo. They had me at Lilo. How about that? Yeah, that's not bad. It's L I L O, right? Yeah. Yep. L I L O, and it's all uppercase L I L O, right? It's you, all that's technically it's Linux all loader. You yeah. know, you guys are gonna do Gen two, but you're not gonna get the real experience because they do stage three installs now. Well, we don't have to do oh. stage three. No one said we had to do stage. Yeah, three. but it's not recommended anymore. Oh, to not use stage three. I used okay. to actually always do a stage two install. So. Yeah. So is Lilo uh, is Li- so the problem is I that do a stage two when I install Ubuntu. So Lilo and Stitch uh, is uh, it's funny because I was a Gen two user. The way I backed into Ubuntu is I would always install the Ubuntu server version and then install the desktop meta package on top of it. That was always always because I didn't want to use the live CD. I wanted to use the command like because yeah. that that's how you install a Linux. And then I eventually backed out of that. Weirdo. <laughs> I know. <laughs> uh, so what is it? What is the was L, capital L I L O? Is that the yeah? Okay, good. It All is. uppercase. Yeah. yeah, it was throwing me off when I searched for it. Is Lilo and, and Stitch or whatever that <laughs> that cartoon is? I, oh, I, I was also. It's kind of. It's nice to boot without a uh, init ramfs too. That was nice of Slack. Yes. The, the the other thing that I haven't had to answer in a long time is what resolution do you want to run your console at? I hadn't had to. I hadn't had and to answer all the font choices. Did yeah, you spend yeah, some time yeah. playing with those? <laughs> yes. Yeah. That's a good time. That is like, warning, there's a safe choice here, and there's also a version that might make it so your consoles don't work. So pick carefully. Um, nobody loves, what, nobody likes had me at Lilo? What's the matter with you guys? That's good. You had me at Lilo's good. We could do uh, Lilo and Slack. <laughs> Lilo, you complete me. Lilo and Slack, you had me at Lilo, I think is pretty good, though. I mean, but also the other one that's winning right now is Defecating ButterFS. Which 